Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago uh, on the armor of God, and the name of the series is called The Art of War. And the series is all about walking through the armor that Paul talks to um, the church at Ephesus about. So the, the Ephesians, he told them, hey, we're in a battle, but we're not in a battle that we're isolated in. Uh, we have armor that we can put on. And I want to let you know about something. Number one, it's the armor of God. So it's his armor, and he dispatches it to us, he gives it to us. But we're instructed in Ephesians to put on the armor. And so one of the problems is uh, we think it's our armor, and we don't put it on, but that's not the case at all. Uh, we're supposed to put this armor on, and it's your responsibility to make sure you're equipping yourself the right way. And so um, just know, as we're looking at the battles that we face, uh, we're ill-equipped at times because we fail to put on this armor, and, and the battles do come our way. Every single one of us in this room, all of us watching online, we've, we're all either in a battle or going into a battle at some point, and we have to know that. And so that's really what we're doing during this series, is just walking through what that means, what it looks like, and we're taking each piece of armor piece by piece, walking through it and talking about it and applying it to our lives together. So today we're going to pick up um, where we've been reading every week, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and we'll start there. It says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I haven't even preached yet and you're getting excited. That's good. That's good stuff here. Ephesians 6.16 says this, In all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. In all circumstances, in every circumstance, we take up the shield of faith. Now, some of you um, may have seen some movies in the past and you think you know what a shield is and what it looks like. Um, if you've seen movies that depict Greek culture, uh, there was a movie a few years ago called 300 about the, the Battle of Thermopylae and these uh, these. Spartan Greek soldiers went and they battled and, um, and their shields in the depiction of that movie, which were accurate for Greeks, was round. It was a round shield, um, two to three feet in diameter, and that's what they would use. And Romans used shields like that, and you might have seen them too. This might be more culturally appropriate in Captain America. So that's more my more my speed. Um, so Captain America has a shield, and he you know it's round, and that's what it, you know, it's a big frisbee is what it looks like. And um, one of the things I always thought was interesting with Captain America is so somebody's going to have like a, a machine gun firing off rounds at him, and he's running toward him, and they're just bouncing off his shield. And I've always thought, why don't they just shoot him in the legs? It would ruin the movie, but still, that'd be way more realistic. And so they had limited space on how they could guard uh, the person that was holding the shield. Now, uh, what I have here is a ballistic shield. 
um, that you could see in a number of different circumstances, but uh, the, the local borough police allowed us to borrow this. And uh, what this ballistic shield is, is it's more, it's more in tune to what the Romans had. The Romans had a shield that, and you can see it's curved. If you look at this, it's not flat. The Romans had a shield that they would use in battle, and the shield uh, was, was curved similar to this, except it had a, more of a curve to it. It was up to, it was honestly the size of a door sometimes. It was up to five feet tall. And so just to put it in perspective, I'm 6'2", and so a five-foot shield would go from the floor, from the ground, to about right here. And so it was a large shield, uh, typically made of wood, covered in animal hide, and it was curved. And the reason it was curved, and so just to put it in perspective, it was curved, it was 14 inches deep, so it could have been curved up to about right here. So it covered a great deal of the person's body, and it offered protection against, uh, against an oncoming defender. Now, a couple things I want to point out to you. The first thing is, um, it was the primary defense for a person. Last or Two weeks ago, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, and it was basically um, a, a piece of brass armor that would go on the front and back uh, it would protect you from a blow from the enemy, especially an, an unpredicted blow, one that came from the back or the side. Um, and this was not a primary defensive weapon. This was secondary. This was, if, if it gets past the shield, this will help protect your body and your vital organs. Um, next week, we'll be talking about the helmet of salvation. And the helmet was in place not because that was your lead defensive tool, but because, hey, if something gets by, I want to make sure my bell doesn't get rung too badly, right? Um, they weren't running into battle head first, like ramming people with their heads and their helmets. That's stupid. You don't want to hurt your head. So it was a secondary defensive tool. So the, the shield was primary. It was important for them to have this piece of armor so that they could defend themselves against the oncoming enemy. Uh, one of the things we see with this is that it was, many times it was covered, it was wooden shield covered with animal hide. And if it was covered with animal hide, uh, it gave it some flexibility because they could wet it down and use it to extinguish arrows that had been lit. So if they'd been ignited and fired at you, if you just had a wooden shield, it's going to go up. Uh, but if it's, if it's soaked, if the animal hide is soaked, then it allows it to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy, as we see in this passage of Scripture. One of the other things we see uh, with the shields is that... Um, they had a piece on the front, like in the center. So right about here is where it would go on this piece. But it, would, um, it was called a boss. And a boss, um, a basic boss was going to be six to eight inches in diameter. And it was raised off the shield four to maybe six inches. And it was usually just round uh, for a basic shield. And they could be very ornate depending on who you were and what kind of, um, what kind of regiment you were part of and those kind of things. But the reason that was important on a shield is it allowed the shield to not just be a defensive tool, but it could become an offensive tool as well. So they could use this to actually push against the enemy. And so uh, last week we talked about your feet being shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace. Um, and we talked about the, the cleats that, you, that the Roman soldiers would wear, that it would allow them to dig in and hold their positions when the enemy would come against them. But that would also help them to press forward with the shield and they could take ground from the enemy. So they could actually use their shield to push and to um, knock the enemy back as well. One of the things we see with these shields, and sometimes you've seen this depicted in film, is um, Romans would march in a rectangular uh, formation. And so they would march in this rectangular column 
And what would happen is, if they were surrounded by the enemy, then they could close ranks, and the people on the perimeter of the column would put their shields into the ground and get in a defensive position, and all the soldiers on the interior of the column, they would raise their shields above their heads. And um, what we see, the Latin word for this means the tortoise. So this, the, the, the formation that they would have, it reminded people of, uh, of a turtle and a turtle shell. It was impenetrable. It would cover them completely. <clears throat> and not only was this defensive, but they could actually move in unison together to take ground from the enemy. And so <clears throat> when we talk about all this stuff, a lot of this is new for you. But remember, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian church, he's talking to Roman citizens. They know all about the Roman army. They know who they are. They know what they do. And so when he describes, hey, take the shield of faith, uh, they automatically have a picture in their mind what that looks like, what that means, um, what the application is for them. And so as we walk through this today, I want you to be thinking about these things. Um, <clears throat> when we look at this, the shield of faith, now <clears throat> faith It almost, it almost feels like we shouldn't even have to talk about it. We all know what faith is. You believe, right? Um, and it can be a word that sometimes I think we take for granted in church, but I want us to walk through it together and, and just kind of systematically so we can understand what this really means for us today. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what we know is that Jesus is responsible for our faith, and he's responsible for perfecting our faith. <clears throat> um, I enjoy good business stories, and I enjoy following business in the world and what's going on in economics and things like that. Um, and in the United States, we celebrate successful founders, people like Jeff Bezos from Amazon or um, Bill Gates or um, whoever it might be, any successful businessman who has started their own company from the ground up, and they've raised it up. People like Sam Walton with Walmart, and um, you know, they, they have amazing stories of how they've done it and what they've done. <clears throat> and the truth is, <clears throat> Amazon wouldn't be Amazon today if it wasn't for Jeff Bezos, the man who started Amazon. They're taking over the world. They're trying to anyway, uh, but that's okay. I will give, I will give it up because I love me some Prime membership and two-day shipping. Like, how could we live without getting our paper towels two days shipped for free, right? So Jeff Bezos, I give it up for the guy. Um, but Amazon wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Jeff Bezos, the founder of the company. And what we have to understand is uh, the only faith we have is the faith that was authored by and was founded by Christ. So apart from Jesus, there is no faith. The only faith we have was given through and by Christ. Scripture tells us that to each is given a measure of faith. So we all have faith. Even if you don't have faith in Christ, you still have faith in something. You had to have faith that your engine would start this morning. You had to have faith that, right, you have faith for all kinds of things. Um, but what we see here is true faith, saving faith, can only be found in Christ, that he is the founder. He's the one who created it. He's the one who gives us the ability to believe on him. So he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, um, perfect or perfect in Scripture doesn't mean what we think of when we think of perfect. Uh, it actually means to mature. We see Paul use this word a lot, the same Greek word. Um, and, and what it means is to fully mature. And so what it's saying is uh, Jesus is the founder and he's the perfecter or the maturer of our faith. So apart from Christ, 
we don't grow in our faith, we don't mature in our faith, um, we might be a Christian, but if we don't press into Christ, if we don't value who he is, if we don't pursue him, uh, then at the end of the day, we will be stunted in our growth in faith. <laughs> he, he likes that part. So I want to encourage you today, um, if you feel like you've plateaued in your faith, maybe the problem is you're not pressing into Christ enough because he's the one who perfects our faith, who matures our faith. Uh, simple church attendance doesn't perfect your faith. Um, just being around godly people, that can help, but that's not necessarily going to perfect your faith. What's going to mature you in your faith is being in the presence of Jesus Christ. I've got a few mentors in my life, uh, people that, um, well, and, and they're overseers for us. Jim Hennessy uh, pastors a wonderful church in Dallas, Texas area, and then John Nuzo, pastor over in Cranberry, uh, north of Pittsburgh. And both of these men pastor wonderful churches, and they're guys that I look to, that they influence me spiritually. Uh, they've had a lot of success in what they do, and I allow them to speak into me because I want to do some of the things that they're doing. And, and I need somebody that can tell me, you're being an idiot, and you're doing some things wrong. I need that in my life. And the way I get better is by spending time with guys like that. The way I become a better pastor is by spending time with guys that I think are better pastors than me. And so um, being with them, just hanging out with them, helps me do my job better. And this is what I'm telling you today. Just spending time in the presence of Jesus is going to help your faith mature. It's going to help your faith develop. It's going to help your faith grow. And so Stop worrying about religious stuff and just say, how can I be in Jesus' presence more? How can I be around him more? And that's going to help you develop your faith. Um, and yes, church attendance is part of that, but it's not all of that. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. This is known as like the, the hall of fame of faith, and we won't read all of Hebrews 11. But it says this in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2 says, For by it people of old receive their commendation. So they received their commendation by faith. They were renowned. People like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or uh, Noah or Moses, these people of faith from Scripture. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now this is an important concept, talking about things that are unseen versus things that are seen. And faith requires us to believe what we don't see. So what it's saying is we believe that God created the universe from scratch, that, that he spoke it into existence. Do we have proof for that? No. Now, some people would argue, well, there's anecdotal evidence and we could look at this and we see God's thumbprints on things, but there are, is not conclusive evidence that we can go, this is ironclad, there is a God, he created the universe. And because of that, it requires us to have faith and go, hey, I don't have evidence, I can't see it, but I know God did it. I believe, I have faith. I believe something I don't see uh, and can't see, but I believe it, I trust it. We're going to circle back to that concept in a moment. Verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what we see is without faith, it is impossible to please him. So none of your attendance, none of your niceness, none of your morality will please God. What pleases God is deep, convicting faith in him, that you really do believe he is who he says he is. So let me go back to verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of hope, you know, things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Um, 
the assurance of things hoped for. We're really looking at a definition, a working definition of faith here. So it's the assurance of things hoped for. The word assurance here, the Greek word is um, hypostasis, and hypostasis really means um, a substructure, if I can put it that way, or a foundation. You know, well, that seems like a weird way to word this, but what it's really saying is the faith that you put in a, in a foundation is the same faith you should have in uh, your convictions uh, or in what you hope for. So what it says is the faith, uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So the assurance part is when you walked through the door today, and I was in the lobby, I saw a lot of you walk through the doors. Um, I didn't see anybody that, that you were walking through and you're like, hold on kids, hold on, hold on. Okay, we're good. Everybody walk where I walk. Be real careful, real careful. Okay, we're good. Another step, right? Why? Because you had confidence, you had assurance in in what was going on. You, you felt confident the flooring is going to be okay. The, the foundation is good, so I don't have to worry. Now, uh, if you're ever walking on ice, or maybe you're walking through an old house or on a porch of an old house that hasn't been maintained very well, and you, you take a step and you can feel it giving, you're like, whoa, like, okay, all right, be careful here. Why? Because it's, the structure is bad. The substructure is bad. The foundation, if I can say it that way, is bad. And so what it's really saying is the same confidence you have when you take a step on a firm foundation is the same confidence you could have in the things that are hoped for. Now, when we talk about hopes, I want you to understand the way we use the word hope today is different than the way they use the, hope, the word hope here. When we talk about hope, we use it as a word that's synonymous with wish, Right? We'll say, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope there's, my girls will say, I hope there's a two-hour delay for school tomorrow, right? Um, we might say things like, we hope the Patriots lose in the Super Bowl. And, and can I get an amen from anybody on that one? Amen. Let's just stop and pray right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's amazing that thousands and thousands of people all over western Pennsylvania suddenly became Rams fans, right? It's like, yes, we love the Rams. Um, so I hope the Patriots lose, or I hope the Steelers win, or whatever it is. What we're really saying is I wish. I hope I win the lotto. Well, you're wishing. But, but the reality is all of us have deep longings within our soul. And there are deep longings within us that are much more important than I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. And these hopes that we have within us, um, they're reflected in, in what we truly long for. It's intimacy. We want to know people and be known by people. Um, intimacy with others, intimacy with God. Uh, we want to know why we're here, what our life is all about, are we called to. All those things are deep longings within us. And as we press into Christ and we know him more intimately, um, those hopes are revealed. So what, what we see here, what Paul or what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that faith is the assurance, it's the confidence, the same confidence you have when you walk in this building that your feet aren't going to give way. That kind of confidence is what we have, that what we hope for is going to come to pass. And I don't mean are the Steelers going to win. I'm, I'm talking about the deep stuff, the important stuff, the stuff that's a, a conviction within us that we struggle with. Those hopes, those are going to come to pass as we press into Christ. We have that kind of confidence. Now it goes on to say, the conviction of things not seen. 
Uh, the word conviction here is what you may immediately think of. It was a legal term in the Greek, uh, and when we look at the application for us today, it literally means the same thing. Um, so if I was accused of a crime, and I was taken it, hauled into court, and uh, a jury of my peers uh, heard the case, and they came back, and they convicted me, what they would say is, the evidence convinced us. We were convinced by the evidence that he is guilty. So he's convicted. Does that make sense? And so this is what happens for us. This is the application for us. Um, so many times we are convinced by what we see. So what we see is all the evidence we need. We are convinced by that. And what the writer of Hebrews says, and what we're going to see in just a moment is, what's more important than what we see is what we don't see. So what it says is the conviction of things not seen. So we have to have a conviction. We have to be convinced about what we don't see that it's more important than what we do see. So like I said, I'll circle back to that in just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says this. So we're always of good courage. I could stop there and preach a whole message on that. We're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. So it's talking about our physical body uh, being absent in the manifest presence of God. Verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So what it's saying is no matter what we do, our highest goal is to please God. Remember what we said earlier, without faith it's impossible to please God. See, our, our number one desire as believers should be, um, is, is what I'm doing, is the decision I'm making bring glory to God? Is it pleasing to God? Not, am I going to be happy with it? Am I going to be comfortable? Does this bring pleasure to me? But, but does this bring pleasure to God? And how do we know? Well, it's got uh, to be led by faith. So even difficult decisions, when they are fueled by faith, are pleasing to God. What we see here in verse 7 comes back to what we were talking about just a moment ago. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Um, so I've been here at Summit Church for five years now. Last weekend was my five-year anniversary, and um, it's fun to see what God has done here in five years. Um, we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But um, before we came here, I was on staff at a large church in Oklahoma City, and um, at the end of the day, we would have multiple services. At the end of the day, a lot of times one of my girls would ride home with me. And uh, again, my girls are 13 and 16 now, but when six or seven years ago, you know, Emma was quite a bit younger, and whenever I would leave, I would walk out of the office hallway, and it led into this large meeting room, and I would cut through that room to go to where I was parked outside. And, um, and so I would shut down, I would get finished up, and I was typically one of the last people to leave, and I would have Emma with me, and we would leave the office area, and we would push this double door open to go into this, this big meeting room, and it was a very large space, and it was always dark because I was one of the last ones to leave. So people had already shut off the lights. And so when you push the doors open, the door swings open, and the room is flooded with light. And then as the doors swing closed, it's, it's darkness, pitch black. Now, I'd walked through that room thousands of times because I always parked in the same spot. So I would walk through. I knew exactly where to go. But Emma would get nervous because we went from light 
to no light at all. And so her eyes were trying to adjust to what little light might be in the room. And so we'd get in this room, and the very first thing that would happen is Emma would go, whoop, and she would reach over, and I would feel this hand on my leg, like, okay, are you there? Yep, there you are. And because I'm a terrible dad, there would be times that I would go, (laughs) so she'd reach over, and there'd be nothing. And immediately, immediately, She'd go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And the more times she said it, the more panic she'd get. And I would never let it go very long, by the way. And so I'd go, Baby, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I got you. And so I'd take her by the hand. And she knew I'm going to follow Dad through this dark room. I don't know how to get out of this place, but my dad does. And this is what you have to understand. In that moment, her senses were failing her. Her senses did her no good because all she could see is dark. But she would take the hand of her father And he would lead her through the room because he knew where he was going. He had been there a thousand times. And this is what I'm telling you today. There's so many times that we trust what we see. We trust our senses, but our senses lie to us. And instead, what we need to do is go, hey, hey, dad, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's going on. I know what my senses say, but I need to make a decision to trust you instead of what I see and what I feel in this moment. Because I'm in a situation that I need to be led through, and I don't know if I can get through it, but I know you can Uh, Did you know that your eyes don't actually see? It's actually your brain that sees. Your eyes just transmit an image. And and this is is the the thing that's interesting to me. Um, If you you like crime shows, you will understand that um, eyewitnesses are not always reliable. Did you know that? If you've watched any crime show on Netflix, you've seen that, like, just tell them I'm not available. I told them not to call me here. (laughs) You're good. Nobody even knows you, Sharon, until you duck down in the seat. <laughs> it's okay. If you need to step out and take the call, Sharon, go ahead. Okay. You, usually, I don't call the person by name when that happens in church, so sorry. So when you're watching these crime shows on Netflix, you know a lot of times eyewitness testimony is somewhat unreliable. Um, it can be. And this is the reason why, because your eyes don't actually see, your brain sees. So what happens is your eyes transmit an image to your brain, and your brain puts the story together. And what happens is our brains are biased, because our brains have had baggage and issues and things and all kinds of, so our brains tell our stories, and sometimes the stories that we tell about what we saw is not accurate to reality. And I will tell you this, so many times we're walking through a situation and we trust our senses and our senses say, here's the way things are, but our baggage and our biases and our issues and our failures in the past and all this stuff tells a different story. And what we have to do is go, no, 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 I'm not going to trust my senses, I'm not going to trust what I see, instead I'm going to trust God because God is true. He is faithful above all else. So I choose to walk by faith and not by sight. And it's so much easier said than done. It's so easy to say things like this, but it's another thing to actually do it. It's another thing to say, I know how I feel in this moment. I feel attacked. I feel betrayed. I feel like we're not going to make it. I feel like the, door, the walls are closing in on me. This is how I feel. And those feelings are valid, but your feelings aren't always true. What is true, what is faithful, is God. And this is where we go, God, I, I feel nervous. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to hold on to you so that you can get me through this situation. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Now, well-intentioned pastors will use this verse at times to tell you you can never miss church because if you want to have faith, you got to come to church. And that's part of it for sure, but that is not all of it. Because if Sunday morning or Saturday night is the only time your faith is being built up, you're in trouble. You need to be building your faith up throughout the week. You need to be in the Word of God throughout the week. Uh, You need to be putting the Word of God in you throughout the week. And that doesn't just mean read your Bible. That's important. I would encourage you to read your Bible. There's lots of ways to do that. Um, But it's not just reading your Bible. Can I tell you, uh, for years I thought I couldn't be a senior pastor of a church because, (laughs) I mean this sincerely, I liked Led Zeppelin too much. (laughs) And for the record, I still listen to Led Zeppelin, okay? But here's the thing. I thought, what church would want me to pastor them because I listen to, I like Led Zeppelin. I know. They were high when they wrote all their music. But this is the thing. I don't only listen to classic rock and Led Zeppelin. Do you know what I like to do? I like to put on some worship music. And the reason worship music is so good is not because I'm paid to be here and i got to listen to worship music sometimes. It's because much of worship music is the Word of God put to music. And so when I listen to worship music, what I'm doing is I'm getting the Word of God in me. And it helps me know who God is more accurately. It helps me know who I am more accurately. It helps me build my faith because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So just being around other people of faith, it may build your faith, but if they're not lovers of the Word of God, it's not going to build your faith. So get the Word of God in you. Now, there's two things real quickly I want to share with you. Satan will always attack these two areas, and there's other areas, but, but there are two areas that you can count on Satan attacking. The first is identity. He's going to attack who God is and who we are every time. Daniel chapter 3, the nation of Israel had been overrun by the Babylonians. The Babylonians had taken, um, had absconded with these um, men to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonian empire, one of the most powerful men in the world, the most powerful man in the world at that time. Um, And so they indoctrinate these young men and they put them in positions of authority and power and, um, and there's these three young men. Now, their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, their Hebrew names were uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And these three young men, um, they, were, they were men that were full of faith. Now, there was an order given. Nebuchadnezzar was such an <laughs> egomaniac that he built a statue of himself that was almost 100 feet tall and uh, nine feet wide, and it was a solid gold image of himself. And he said, hey, Babylonian Empire, anytime you hear music playing, this certain music, you've got to stop whatever you're doing and worship this idol of me. And again, if you ever see a a big statue of me at the church, you know we're in trouble, right? Um, And so this is what you do. Whenever you hear the music, you just bow down and worship this idol, this this image of me, because I am God is basically what he was saying. And so this happened. This was going on. And finally, he gets a report from this, this area that uh, these three young men helped oversee that they weren't doing it. And so he was angry because he had told people, if you don't do this, you're going to be killed. So he brings them in. And he says, guys, I'm going to burn you to death if you don't worship me. It's pretty bold. And this guy had the ability to do it. The most powerful man in the world is threatening their lives because 
of their resistance to bow down to a false god. And this is what he says to them in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's a bold statement, isn't it? What he's saying is, who do you think your God is? Your God can't save you from me. This is too big. This is too challenging. I'm too powerful. What can your God do? What is this? It's an affront to the identity of God. Who is God really? And this is a question you'll hear over and over and over. The enemy will whisper this to you when you go, oh my gosh, we're, in over, we're never going to be able to pay these bills. Man, my marriage is never going to make. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull. And your enemy is going to say, your God can't save you. What God can save you from this? And we have a choice to make at that moment. We can either choose to raise the standard of faith up and go, no, 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 I know who my God is. And this is what these young men did. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, but he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. He said, our God's gonna save us our God is a saving God. Our God is a rescuing God. Our God is a powerful God. But if he chooses not to, that doesn't change anything. We're still going to choose to worship him because we know who your God is and we know who our God is. The enemy will question God and his identity. Is he really good? Is he really powerful? Can he really save you? And he's going to question you. Well, are you really a believer? If you really had faith, you wouldn't be in this situation. If you were really a believer, you wouldn't be struggling with this temptation. If you're really a believer... And that's what he's going to say to you over and over and over. The second thing we see that he'll attack is God's word, what God has said and what he has promised. In Genesis 3, um, Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent, and he's trying to tempt them. And this is what he says in Genesis 3.1. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the answer is no, God didn't say that. God said, don't eat of these trees. These two. He didn't say, don't eat of any tree. And this is what the enemy does. The enemy will take the word of God. He'll take something God might have promised you, and he'll twist it slightly. You go, I'm going to adjust this just a little bit. And he's going to cause you to question what God has said. Is that promise really good? Were you, were you really called into ministry? Or was that just a feeling? That was probably just a feeling. You went to that conference, and you felt an emotion, and that's what it was. Were you really supposed to get into this marriage? Does God really love you? Because if he did, why would you be going through this stuff? What's he doing? He's questioning God's identity and questioning his word. And this is what the enemy of our souls will do. Let me read another passage to you. This, well, I'm not even going to read this to you. This is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I won't read this to you today, but you, I'm going to reference this for you. Um, Jesus had started his ministry, or was beginning his ministry. He went to the wilderness to fast and pray. And um, while he was there, Satan confronts him, and he tempts him, and um, Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, command the, these stones to become bread. Um, and so what does he say? If you are really who you say you are, command these stones to become bread. And I'll be honest with you, um, I've been on low carbs for the last few months, and I know I need to have a cheat day whenever I start dreaming about bread. <laughs> 
There's been a, a few times that I'm like, it's time for a cheat day. Like, I need a slice of pizza because I've been dreaming about, like, a whole basket of bread. Like, just put my face in it. Anyway. <laughs> and if I was standing there and I hadn't eaten bread for a long time and I had the power to turn stones into bread, that might have been a temptation for me. What he was tempting him with was, hey, if you really are, if you're really the Son of God, if you really identity... And then he was going with one of his needs and, hey, turn this into bread. And Jesus doesn't go, hey, leave me alone. Stop picking on me. I'm going to tell. He doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? He responds with the word of God. He says, hey, it is written. Man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, the word of God. So he strengthens himself with the faith. He says, no, no, no. Let me tell you about what the word of God says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith is strengthened whenever the word of God is in us and we can hold up that shield against the schemes of the enemy. He comes back to him again and says, if you're a son of God, throw yourself off this precipice and let the angels catch you because then it'll display to the world that you really are. And Jesus responds and says, hey, it again is written. You should put the Lord your God to the test. So he responds with the word of God again. He holds up the shield of faith. Finally, he says, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. Do you know all the, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world. I'm going to make you king over all of it if you'll just simply bow down and worship me. And it's interesting because just so you know, Satan is finite. He doesn't know everything. He, do, he can't be everywhere. He's a created being. And so Satan doesn't know who Jesus really is in this moment. He really is testing him. And Jesus knows who he really is. So Jesus knows his identity. He knows who he is. And so when Satan says, hey, I'm, if you'll worship me, I'll make you ruler over all all of creation. Jesus is like, dude. I got bad news for you. I am the ruler of all creation, right? So he wasn't in that moment. He, he, was, he was a man. He had set aside his deity, <laughs> set aside his glory. But in that moment, he, uh, he knew, hey, someday... Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that I am Lord. So I don't need this deal, right? He, he, he could say, I know who I am. I know how this turns out. And I don't need to do this. I don't need to succumb to this temptation. He held up the shield of faith. And this is what I'm telling you today. Satan will atta attack your identity. He'll attack what God has spoken to you. And when we have faith in our lives, we can defend ourselves against, against what's to come. Because we know. We can trust. Not just what we see, not just what we feel, but we can trust in what we know. I want to finish with one last verse. John, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it says this. I love this. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Does that encourage anybody today? That if you are born of God, if you're a new creation in Christ, you, have, you are overcoming the world. You might feel like you're overcoming today, but I'm telling you, the end of the story says, you will overcome the world. And listen to this. It says, and this is the victory that, overcome, that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I mentioned earlier that Roman soldiers would walk in a column together. And they would defend themselves. The Greek word is testudo, um, or the, the Latin word testudo means the tortoise. And this is the column that they would form up in. And this is what you have to understand. You might be here today and you say, oh, my faith is important, but it's not that big a deal. It's fine. And eh, I can kind of be wishy-washy about some of this. And this is what you have to understand. Um, you need to have strong faith, not just for you, but for your family. 
And you need to have strong faith, not just for you, but for this body. You need to have strong faith, not just for you, but for the body of Christ in Indiana and in this world. And this is, this is what I mean. Um, if there was one Roman soldier who failed to hold up his shield in this formation, the whole formation was vulnerable. The, the whole formation was likely to fall because of one person who failed to hold up their shield in the right way. But your family desperately needs you to have the kind of faith beyond just to be a Christian, but a faith that says, hey, no matter what comes against me, not only am I going to stand firm, but I'm going to push back against the army of darkness. I'm going to push back against the, the onslaught of the enemy in my life. I'm going to push back against the schemes of the enemy and not just be a victim, but I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my beliefs. I'm going to fight for the family of God because your family deserves it. They need it. It's not your spouse's responsibility. It's your responsibility. I want to challenge you today. Be a person that's full of faith. Be a person that, that pursues Christ. Because you know what? He's pursuing you. But pursue Christ. And as you do, your faith is going to begin to grow and develop. Stop trusting what you see and trust what you know, that God is good. Trust what he has said. And you will see faith develop in your life and grow in your life like never before. And when the enemy comes against you because he is coming for you, you can hold up the shield of faith and say, no, no, no. I know how this is going to end out. So I want to challenge you in that today. I want to encourage you in that today. Let's pray together. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for being so good to us. And we're asking today that you would help us. Lord, help those of us that are here that, that may be believers, but too many times we trust what we see instead of what we know. And I pray today would be a day that, Lord, we stop trusting our senses more than we trust you. Lord, when the world comes against us, when the enemy whispers lies in our ears, God, I pray that we would stand firm in our faith, that we would push back with what we know, that you are good, that we can trust you, that your word is solid. So God, I pray today that you would help us trust deeply in you. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that have never put their faith in you, never really walked with you. I pray that today would be the day they'd surrender their lives. Lord, let today be the day that... Um, or just like Emma would reach over in that dark room, God, let some people reach out to you today and say, I need your help. I can't navigate this path by myself. And let them trust you today. So Lord, have your way with us. Speak life into this place. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, I'm not serving Christ, but I know I need to be. I want to surrender my life to him. Um, with nobody looking around, I'm just asking you, would you be bold enough just raise your hand real high where I can see it, and I'll just, I'll just say a prayer with you, and that's it. Yeah, thanks on my left. A couple hands. Thank you. Yeah, thank you over here on my right. Thanks. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel, today. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm tired of trying to walk this path alone. I need his help. Yeah, thank you. I see you on my right. Praise God. Praise God. I'd like to ask every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this really simple prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thanks for loving me. And thank you for giving your life to pay for my sins. 
From now on, my life belongs to you. Use it for your glory and help me to trust you more than my senses. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I just want you to know you're a new creation today. The word of God tells you the old is gone and the new has come. And we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And so if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, I would love for you to take the card out of the seat back in front of you. Take just a moment and fill that out. And then when we uh, finish here in just a few minutes, you can take it over to our information center. So there's a card that says salvation. If you'll fill that out, take it to our info center in just a moment when we're done. Um, they're going to give you a free Bible. Just say thanks for worshiping with us today. If you're watching online and you responded, you can simply text the word salvation to 555 We're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey as well. Here's what's going to happen now. The worship team will lead us one more song. While they're singing, our prayer team will be on either side of the stage. They're here to pray with you about whatever your need may be. And uh, so step out while we're singing this last song. And then in just a moment, I'll come back up and I will close this out and I will share a few things with you about 2018 and about 2019 as well. So stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to sing together one more time before we go today, guys.